Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor's here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now, here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. It is finished. Man, what a great uh, video to kick off this morning. Happy Easter. Good morning and welcome to Harbor Church. If this is your first time uh, with us, my name is Josh Adams. I'm the pastor of Harbor Church and I'm so glad that you're jumping in to uh, join us this morning as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. We're celebrating all over the world and uh, you get to be with us here today online. Maybe you're listening to the podcast or you're checking it out on Facebook. However you're uh, joining us, Thank you so much for being a part of our Easter services. Uh, I hope Easter is a fun day for you. I hope uh, it brings back good memories. I I would be curious as you're uh, typing in, leaving some comments, let us know where you're watching from or, uh, you know, just uh, just saying hi and, and celebrating with everybody else that's watching online. I would be curious, what are your memories of Easter? What does it bring to mind when you think of Easter morning, Sunday Uh, you know, getting up. Some of you, maybe your memory is of candy and uh, getting an Easter basket and getting tons of jelly beans or a a chocolate bunny or something like that. The candy is what comes to mind. Uh, Man, I was always one of my favorite things as a kid. Maybe your thing is uh, getting dressed up. I know a lot of people, Easter meant they had to put on their nicest outfit, was always saved for Easter morning. Uh, Maybe you were going to brunch or church or something like that, but you had to wear uh, the really nice clothes. As a kid, uh, I would have to put on a suit and tie. My sister would wear the really nice dress with the big hats. Uh, I don't know what your thing was. Maybe that was what comes to mind when you think of Easter. Maybe it's it's going to church. And for a lot of people, Sunday morning, uh, Easter Sunday morning, was their church time. That's when they went. Maybe you went with grandma or your parents or you got brought in there. Maybe it was fun or maybe it was incredibly boring and you'd fall asleep in a pew as somebody talked too long. Uh, I'm not going to try to do that to you today, but uh, I am curious what you think of when you think of Easter. And I hope um, as you've just enjoyed some of that worship and some of the videos that we've watched that you come to understand that it's not just another holiday, that it's something that, that changed the course of humanity. Easter is a celebration of Jesus uh, raising from the dead. Not only does he die for us, but he comes back to life. And, and it's supposed to be a time of celebration, but let's just, let's just call it what it is today. With all of this corona nonsense and, and, and craziness and, man, all of the, all the people getting sick and, and this quarantine stuff, and, man, it's, it's heavy. It does not feel like Easter. I am preaching to an empty auditorium. Our sanctuary has nobody in here. Uh, and it's, it's definitely not what I pictured a few months ago when I was planning for Easter. Maybe you had some other plans for today, and uh, it doesn't look anything like you thought it would. I'm going to guess that today, whatever your tradition is, today is probably one of the most unique Easters that you've ever celebrated. Uh, many of you didn't think you'd be watching this right now, but there, that's where we find ourselves. This doesn't feel like Easter. It doesn't feel like something we should be celebrating. It doesn't feel as much fun. It feels heavy. It feels a little empty. It feels like less than, than what we had anticipated. And uh, I, I don't say that to make you feel down. I want to celebrate today. But I think it's good for us to remember that on the first Easter, it started off pretty down. A couple thousand years ago, on this, on the Sunday morning when Jesus rose from the dead and nobody had knew that yet, it was pretty bleak. Well, why? Why was it so dark? Why was it so heavy? 
It says in Luke chapter 23, this is, this is a few days earlier, a few days before the resurrection, they have taken Jesus. This mob captures Jesus and they do a mock trial that has nothing to do about justice. They just wanted to kill him. And Pilate, rather than wanting to kill him, he has him beaten severely in hopes that that would pacify him. But they beat him and beat him. They, they beat him to the point that he's barely recognizable as a human being. And yet that doesn't, that doesn't do anything to satiate the crowd. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they want his death. And so he's sentenced to die a, a gruesome, very horrific death on the cross. And towards the end of this, his time on the cross, it says this in Luke chapter 23, verse number 44. By this time, it was about noon and darkness. Darkness fell over the whole land until three o'clock. So three hours of this long darkness. It says in verse 45, the light from the sun was gone. And suddenly, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus, then Jesus shouted or, or reached up his voice and said, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. It says, when the Roman soldier that uh, was overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshiped God. The very man that was there to kill him ends up worshiping him. And he says, surely this man was innocent. This man was not guilty of what we've done. And it says, all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, and then they went home in deep sorrow. Man, this is just painting a grim picture. It says, darkness falls over the land. There's no light. The sun was gone. It says, they, the crowd goes home depressed in deep sorrow. It says, Jesus' friends, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, notice it doesn't say his disciples. His disciples have abandoned him. A few of the women that were his followers, part of his, uh, the, the people that, that uh, you know, were along with his disciples, they followed after Jesus and learned from him. Those few ladies, we know Mary was one of them. His mother, the, another Mary was one of them. Um, they followed him. They stood at a distance watching his death on the cross. And I'm painting this picture for you because, man, anytime you talk about death or you think about death, and right now it seems to be everywhere, this coronavirus has got so many people concerned and, uh, you know, so many people have already, have already died from this virus, as well as ones that are trying to, to not get sick or to fight the illness. Anytime you talk about death, it has this very sobering, very sorrowful feel about it. It's heavy. It leaves people feeling empty, broken. Maybe it leaves, the thought of it leaves people feeling anxious, scared, uh, this Easter feels dramatically different, I think, because of so much like that hanging in the air. It's a reminder. Death is the great equalizer. Death does not respect people. It doesn't care how rich you are. It doesn't care what race you are. It doesn't care uh, what you believe. It doesn't care uh, about all the things that we seem to focus so much of our life on. Death comes for everyone. Every single person has an expiration date. All of us. If God doesn't come back, if all of us are going to have our last heartbeat someday. Our lungs are going to exhale one final time. Death has this way of making everybody feel that heaviness. 
It says this in Psalms chapter 89, verse 48. No one can live forever. All will die. No one can save themselves from the power of the grave. And I know some of you watching this are like, wow, I picked the wrong church to watch online for Easter morning. This is heavy and dark and sad. And I'm not going to leave you hanging there, but I want you to feel that heaviness, that that despair that I think the disciples and the followers of Jesus felt. In a few minutes, we'll read the story of the women who come to his grave to, to, to witness the resurrection, to find uh, that, that uh, Jesus wasn't there. But before we do that, before we, we get to the celebration, we have to at least acknowledge the reason that it's a party. It's because it is so much in the face of all of the darkness and the, the despair that was Jesus' death and that thing that we don't want to talk about, that stuff that we don't want to think about, when you lose somebody, when death occurs, it, it, it has this way of drawing all of us down. And, and even in this moment as we, many of us, sit in our houses watching from a distance, we are very much so aware of the emptiness that comes with death. And I want you to think about that. The emptiness that I think Jesus' friends and family felt, the way his disciples must have felt empty of joy, must have felt empty of hope, the way I know some of you watching right now, uh, you're trying, man, you're trying. It's Easter morning, but you feel pretty empty right now. So why celebrate? Why have Easter? What do we do with that emptiness? I think we need to focus on it, acknowledge it, and see why, why it is that God uh, gives us a reason to, to smile and to celebrate this Easter. It's the empty tomb that makes all the difference. All the other things that are empty leave us going, no, I can't, how am I going to make it? What am I going to do? How is this going to work? All the other emptiness in the world tells us that there's nothing left but despair until you have the story of the empty tomb. The God who was willing to die for us, the God who was willing to lay down his life, that's, that's pretty awesome, that's pretty amazing, but, and it shows his sacrifice and his love, but it's the power of the resurrection. It's the fact that his body didn't stay in the tomb. It's the fact that he wasn't held back by death that we have a reason to celebrate, that we have a reason to be excited today. It's the reason that everything changed with Jesus. It went from, from, oh, this is just the world BC before Christ, and then after Jesus, after he comes and he changes everything. He changes all that we know. He changes the value of empty. This is what Jesus does, and this is why we still celebrate it. And we have a reason in the middle of all of this chaos, in the middle of all this despair, we have a reason this morning to be excited about an empty tomb. Let me remind you what they wrote about uh, when they were trying to tell people at the very beginning of the early church, shortly after Jesus uh, rose from the dead and ascends back into heaven. His followers go out and they're telling people and they're talking about it. And they say this in the book of Acts chapter 2. They say, God released him from the horrors of death. And remember, these guys watched 
him die. They watched death grab the body of Jesus on that cross. They watched him take his last breath. They watched what they thought was the expiration of their Messiah. They watched this, this one they called rabbi and master, the one they, they, they saw do all these miracles. They watched him die. And then, just a short time later, they're telling the story. They say, God released him from those horrors of death and raised him back to life. Why? For death could not keep him in its grip. I love that. Look at this. It could not keep him. As much as death, the great equalizer of mankind, death, the thing that none of us can escape, that none of us have any power over, death, the thing that seems so final. So, so ultimate for all of us, grabbed Jesus, and as much as it tried, death couldn't hold on. How cool is that? I want us to celebrate what it is that uh, I'm talking about, and I know some of you have never, ever really heard this story. Maybe you've heard a few snippets of who Jesus was. Maybe you've seen a crucifix with a guy on a cross. Maybe you've heard his name used in swear words, but you don't really understand what I'm talking about. Well, you've heard the dark side. You've heard the heaviness. A man taken by a mob of people who were ultimately just jealous of him and, and hated his truth that he was saying. They, they murder him. They kill him. They crucify him in a brutal way. Not because he couldn't stop them. He could have stopped it at any time. He allows this to take place. Because he knows that the punishment of sin, all the things that you and I have done wrong, all of our, all of our disobedience to God requires some type of payment because God is not just loving, he's also just. And justice demands there's consequences for wrong. And when we look at who Jesus is, when we look at what it is that Jesus did, he allowed himself to be hung on a cross, nailed to a cross, to forgive us. If this is the first time you're hearing this story, I want you to hear the other part of it. And so rather than hearing from me, rather than um, hearing me read these, I thought we could have a much better voice than mine. I've asked Don, who goes to our church. Uh, he's got a great radio voice, spent a lot of time on the radio um, I thought he could read these verses for us. I hope you enjoy it. Here's Matthew 28. Matthew 28, 1 through 7. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't there. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. 
come, see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. So what does this story tell us? The story uh, tells us that uh, these girls are on their way to put uh, spices and oil on Jesus' body. It's, it was a way to um, preserve the dead. It was a way to keep them from smelling so bad. And these, these girls were going, these followers of Jesus were, were going to just basically pay respects. Um, the Sabbath was over, so they were allowed to, to do work. And so they're heading to the tomb, and then it says, the very men who were placed there to stop the disciples from trying to come get Jesus' body, they roll a big stone in front of the grave, and then these soldiers, these Roman soldiers stand guard. They're guarding the dead. It says that when the angel comes, they faint and look like they are dead themselves. I think that's pretty cool. And it says not only does the angel get there and push the stone away, but then it says he sits down. I think that's a pretty cool thing. I don't know why, but I read it and I just envision the girls stand there. The soldiers have fainted and the girls are just standing there. And then the angel just sits down. <laughs> he just sits. He's just chilling on the stone. And I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm wondering, uh, okay, well, why is he doing that? Like, I, I don't know what an angel's supposed to do. But I imagine if I was an angel, I'd be like, Flapping my wings, you know, swinging a sword or something, popping my guns. You know, I don't know. I just don't, I don't see an angel just sitting there like, hanging out, chilling out, relaxing. I, I think it's cool that he goes, hey, I, I know what you girls are here. I know what you're here for. You're here for Jesus. You came, you came to find Jesus. And they're probably just staring at this angel like, uh, uh, uh-huh, uh, you know, I don't know what they were doing, but I'm sure they, they were pretty amazed. And he says, guys, he's, he's not here. And later on, if you read Luke's account, it says uh, in, in, verse, in chapter 24, verse number 8, it says, they remember that he had said this. They rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples. Of course, they, they hear Jesus is, is risen. They, they rush back. They, they want to go tell everybody. They want to tell everyone else what had happened. It says it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in, and he saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. There it is again, the power of something empty. An empty tomb and empty clothes. Jesus didn't need his burial rags anymore, his burial clothing. He didn't need that tomb anymore. He wasn't dead. I love this, this picture of emptiness turned upside down for something good. When God takes the things that, would, that were always meant for despair and darkness and he, he brings a new meaning to them, I think it's so powerful. But as, as I read this story... I can't help but notice, one, that the guys don't, don't pay attention to the girls. Or they don't, they, it says that what, what the women say sounds like nonsense. It says 
that they, they, they can't, make, you know, can't make heads or tails of it. And it's just because men have never been very good at listening. <laughs> I mean, can we just own that? I'm sure there's some ladies right now, like, uh, thumbs up, being like, yes, that's, that's absolutely true. We, we, we have a hard time listening to anything. And uh, it says that they're trying to tell them the truth about Jesus, and, and the men aren't paying attention. Um, but I can imagine that after Peter and John run to the tomb, after they, they investigate and they come back, they, ha- they must have been questioning those girls. They must have said, girls, you got to tell us, tell us exactly what happened. Like, what, what, what happened to the soldiers? And how did the stone move? And tell us again about this. Hey, what? Tell us. And then they must have asked them a million questions. You ever have a cool story where you saw something like just wicked awesome and you're trying to explain it? And every person that comes in is like, no, start over. Tell me. And you're like, okay. So there I was. And I was just walking. And I'm sure that like... One of the Marys has got like, like just all of the, like the details. Like, no, the birds were chirping and the dew had just fallen on the leaves and we were walking and I was carrying two jars of this. And she probably, and another one was like, no, it was awesome. Like, like earth and like it was shaking and the earthquake and it was nuts. I'm sure they all told the story different. But at some point they had to recount what the angel said. And because there was multiple witnesses there, they probably were able to, to actually get it pretty accurate. They go, hey, listen, well, that, remember, the, okay, so the angel, the angel, and so we're, I'm going to go back to verse number five of, of Matthew 28. They're like, okay, the angel, he spoke to us and he told us, okay, don't be afraid. So he told us to, to calm down, told us that, was, that we didn't have to be scared. And then he said, uh, I know you're looking for Jesus. And, and he was sitting on the rock and he was just like, just like, like face like lightning. I mean, he's just glowing, guys. And the guy's like, yeah, what else did he say? He said, he said he, that, that, that Jesus isn't here. He said, I know you're looking for Jesus. He isn't here. Uh, he's risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Now, they're, they're recounting this story to his disciples and to other followers. And we have, for a long time, we have rallied around what it is that the angel said to those, those ladies on Easter morning. He's not here. He's risen. And we celebrate that he is risen. We celebrate the empty tomb. The phrase, though, that Matthew uses to record this in the Greek, that he is risen, takes us three words. But when Matthew recorded it, he only needed one word. Egerthe. Egerthe pronounced egerthe this is how it's written in the greek it means to awaken he just said i know you're looking for jesus he's not here egerthe he is awake he has awakened it's this idea that death for jesus wasn't permanent jesus woke up from death shook death off like some of us would a nap jesus wasn't held in the grip of death as we read earlier he awoke. I think sometimes we think of all the things that this world offers as the best that we'll ever get, and then we think of death as the end of it all. And I'm asking you another question today. What if your entire life, the book of James says that it's, it's not that long, it, your whole life isn't going to be that much in comparison to eternity, what if your life right now is just, just the beginning? Everything that you've experienced. Some of you are 10 years old watching this. Some of you are 90 years old watching this or somewhere in between or more than that. I don't know. But what if all of your life was just a small little, little piece of what 
it actually is going to be. You think, oh man, I'm halfway through, I'm a quarter of the way through, I'm most of the way through my life. No. This time that we spend here on earth is just a small piece. Because death does not have the power that we think it does. Satan loves to scare us with death, the finality of death. He loves to make us consumed with all that we can get right now in this short window that we call life, this short little span of breathing on this side of the dirt, we, we, we often get sucked into what the world says, focus on right now, get all that you can, because this is all that matters. And what Jesus is saying is, nah, nah, death isn't, isn't the end. There's something much bigger. There's eternity, and you're going to spend eternity somewhere If you embrace the forgiveness that I paid for on the cross, you can spend eternity with me in heaven. This is pretty powerful. I love the way that Max Licato uh, describes Jesus conquering death. He, He writes this, Jesus descended into the coldest cell of death's prison. He allowed the warden to lock the door and smelt the keys in a furnace. And just when the demons began to dance and just when the demons began to prance, Jesus pressed his his hands, his pierced hands, against the inner walls of the cavern. And from deep within the cave of death, he shook the cemetery. And the ground began to rumble and the tombstones tumbled and out he marched. The cadaver turned king. The mask of death in one hand and the keys of life in the other. And all of heaven announced, Egerthe, he is risen. This is the the thing we celebrate today. This is the reason that we get so excited is because death doesn't have the power that Satan wants you to think it does. Death was introduced when Satan was able to tempt Adam and Eve into sinning and they took something that God told them not to take and they, 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 create, they, they, they had the very first disobedience against God and when they disobeyed against God, they brought the curse of death upon all of us. And that death wasn't just their physical death that one day their bodies were going to die. That death was the, was the separation of them from God. That's real death. You and I taking our last breath, you and I getting buried in the ground, that's not the death that, that, that we're talking about. There's, there's a physical part of it. And this is the reason that Jesus had to physically rise from the dead. Because if Jesus just emotionally came back to life, spiritually came back to life, some kind of metaphorical comeback to life, that, that wouldn't be good enough. Oh, you know, if they're like, hey, Jesus isn't here. He's, he's in your hearts. And he's in your minds. Well, that sounds nice, but that makes him on par with my grandma. She died and, you know, she's always with me. That's cool. But that's not what they're talking about. He, he didn't just die and then they remembered him. He came back from death. As we read, it's because death couldn't hold on to him. It's, 
it's because the same promises that we had in Isaiah, and this is what Isaiah chapter 26, verse 19 says. But those who die in the Lord will live. Their bodies will rise again. Those who sleep in the earth will rise up and sing for joy. For your life-giving light will fall like dew on your people in the place of the dead. So that was a promise in Isaiah that the disciples even knew about. That was written long before Jesus' time on earth. And Jesus fulfills this and he reminds us of this very powerful truth. And what I want to leave you with is what Jesus himself said to uh, Martha, who was the, the sister of one of Jesus' good friends, Lazarus, who Jesus ends up bringing back from the dead. Jesus raises him from the dead. During this conversation, Jesus says something very powerful in John chapter 11, verses 25 through 26. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. So the reason that this verse is so important is because it, it, it condenses all that we're trying to tell you today and why we're celebrating. And I know for some of you, you're very new to the Bible, and this story might be the very first time you've ever heard this story um, or you might be beginning to wade through who Jesus is and what he did. And so some of this feels like, man, it's, it's heavy stuff. I'm trying to, to give you a quick insight to a lot of scripture. And it boils down to this. When we look at the Savior, the, the Messiah, the person Jesus Christ who came and lived his life and told us that not only was he going to die, but he was going to come back to life. And then without, without actually doing anything wrong, he gets punished. And that punishment was what we deserve for our sin and our disobedience to God. But Jesus took it on himself and he died. And when the, the one who says that he is the way, the truth, and the life gives up his life as a payment for us, as a ransom for us, is what the Bible says, that, that should speak powerfully to that love and to what it is he's calling us to. But then when you, you go just a little bit deeper you, you find that it wasn't the end, that death didn't hold him. That although he laid his life down, he beat death. And so when we look at this verse and it says, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die, never, ever die. What is he telling us? What was he telling Martha? What, what's his point there? His point for her and for us is that if we'll just believe that he, what he did on the cross was to pay for our sins and that he not only paid for our sins, but then he, he beat death and came back to life, then you and I can have that same eternal life with him. And it says never, ever die. If you're sitting there going, well, hold up, pastor. Do you mean that I'm never going to die? Well, if, if all you, you can grasp right now is a, is a physical death, no, I'm not promising you that. People have been dying for thousands of years. It's, 
It's not that your body will never take its last breath here on earth. It's not that, you're, that you wouldn't pass away here on earth as we know it. What it's talking about is that same original death that was part of the curse way back in the Garden of Eden. When God said, if you, if you disobey, if you, if, you, if you eat that fruit, you're going to surely die. What he means was the death of separation from him. Real death is to be separated from God. And what Jesus does is he bridges that gap. And so even if you do expire here on earth, even if you do take your last breath, he has made it so that you never die. You never have to be separated from God. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord is what he says. And so if you do end up, maybe it's soon, and I hope not. Maybe it's many decades from now that you have your last heartbeat. You can know for sure that because of what Jesus did on the cross thousands of years ago, you don't have to experience death. Not the way death was cursed and, and the way it, it, it's meant to be for a punishment. Death, for those of us that believe, is just the beginning. Winston Churchill wrote his own funeral plans, and he's very meticulous about how he wanted it done. He said when they bury him in the chapel, he wanted two buglers to be stationed high up in the, in the chapel. And towards the end of the ceremony, he wanted one of them to begin to play taps. And taps is the traditional end of the day, the closing, the end ceremony. It's very appropriate, very solemn. But as that guy is finishing playing out taps, the other bugler steps right in with Reveille, which is the beginning, the brand new, the start. And I thought that was pretty cool because that should be similar for us. Our death here on this earth will just be the beginning of our time in heaven with God if we know Jesus, if we've invited him in. If you're sitting here watching this going, Josh, I already know all of this. I, I don't need you to tell me this plan. Then if you know all this, why don't you live like it? Why don't you start recognizing the fact that you have a limited amount of time here on earth to celebrate Easter? It shouldn't just be one Sunday a year. It should be every day of your life you are celebrating that you have a relationship with the God of the universe that beat death. And because of that, you don't have anything to fear, especially not man. And so you don't have to worry about what people think or what other people are doing. You have this Easter, you have this great reminder that your God beat everything that seemed unbeatable. So in his name, through his power, you can tackle the day. You don't have to be scared. You don't have to be freaking out. You don't have to be filled with anxiety. You don't have to be depressed. You don't have to be biting your fingernails. You don't have to be worried about what other people are doing. You don't have to be all, all just consumed with all the things you can get for you. You can go, God, you've got something so much bigger than this that's around me. You've got eternity for me. How can I serve you? How can I love others the way that you loved me? And if you're hearing this for the first time, or if the light bulb is clicking maybe for the first time for you, then why don't you do what 
what the ultimate win for every Easter celebration, truthfully, every presentation of the, the story of Jesus. Why don't you invite Jesus in? That's the ultimate goal. That's the reason that I've given my life to being a pastor is to tell people that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, loved them enough to die for them so that they could have eternal life and never, ever have to experience the death and separation from God. As I pray, why don't you pray? Let's simply talk to God, not only thank Him for what He did for us and celebrate Resurrection Sunday this Easter, but why don't we also just commit to giving our lives to him? Some of you gave God access to your heart. You chose to trust him years ago, but you haven't been living like it. Why don't right now you decide, God, I'm going to live for you? And why don't some of you, the person that's listening to me right now that doesn't know Jesus Christ, that's never invited him in, why don't you open up your life and surrender Put your will down, what you want aside, and invite Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of your life. I'm going to pray out loud. You can pray quietly right where you're at, wherever you are. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much for who you are and what you've given us. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the story of Jesus Christ who would die in my place. God, thank you for being willing to take our sin upon yourself. God, forgive us of our egos and our stubbornness. God, thank, thank you so much for loving us in spite of how, how much we, we struggle to believe sometimes. God, we get so consumed with the things that this world offers. We get so consumed with the distractions of, of everyday life. God, forgive us for not focusing on you and making you the priority. God, we invite you to to lead us, God, to direct us, to direct our thoughts and our words. Help us, God, to have our emotions under control. Help us to have the, the self-discipline that you talk about where we can go through a day, not stress, not freaking out, but go through a day with joy and peace and kindness and long-suffering. God, let us have uh, just a, a, an excitement and a joy about us because we know you and ultimately you have everything under control. You have a plan that's so much bigger than our plan. And God, for the person that's listening to this right now that needs to invite you in, I pray that he or she would open up their heart, that they would lay down what they want and instead invite you to be the driver, to be the driver sit in the driver's seat of their life. God, that they would trust you as the Lord, the Savior of their life. God, that they would have the courage and the strength to simply surrender and trust you. God, help all of us to leave today, to go out of an Easter celebration looking more like you, more excited to tell people about you, more excited to love people the way you love them. God, we ask all of this in your precious and holy name. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com slash give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.